Thank you, Paul, and to Leslie. It says it's on. Okay. Is everybody having a good day today? At least one of you is. <laughs> Ernie, good for you. The rest of you were nodding, but it wasn't, it's not too bad. Well, it's good to be with you today and uh, bright, sunny, shine, bright, sunny day, sunny shine. It's going to be a long afternoon, probably. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, we, uh, we started a, we didn't quite finish anyway last week in regards to the, the blessings or the benefits, the provisions of grace. We've been on a series in regarding grace and uh, there was one facet of it we'd like to take a look at, and then, uh, Lord willing, we'll also look at probably one of the best examples of grace that uh, the Scriptures unfold for us. But begin doing that, let's go to Romans chapter 5. We'll start in verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is spread abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even after them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification." For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous." Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ, our Lord. And may God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we come into your presence again, thanking you for the fact that you are here and amongst us. And Father, you are 
you care for us, you love us, you not only told us you loved us, you showed us by sending Jesus Christ to die for our sins. Father, this day is a day that's special because you've made it. We would ask that you'd be with each one that are here today, that you would meet their needs, Father, and allow them to see you more clearly than they've ever seen. Relationally, that they would be at a higher level than they've ever been. Father, we pray for those that aren't able to be with us today for various reasons. We'd ask that you'd hold them close to yourself, protect and provide for them as well. And now these moments that are ours here in this place, we'd ask that you would grace us by teaching us exclusively through the power of the Holy Spirit. We would ask that we would be conformed moment by moment more towards the image of your Son, Jesus. Now take your word and use it and make us more purified and whole. And these things we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, last week, uh, it was a busy week. We, uh, we had a couple of things going on. <clears throat> Has anyone heard from Lynn and Sharon? I'm sorry, Lynn and Diane. Has anyone heard from them? <laughs> of course they are. Of course they are. Very good. You, I shouldn't share this, but I will. There was one reason that they couldn't be married the week before. There was a bluegrass festival. <laughs> so what can I say, right? They love their bluegrass. But uh, it was a, certainly a joyous occasion last week as they were joined in matrimony and, and uh, making a new union. Uh, we talked some, as, as I've already said, we talked last week about uh, Romans chapter 5. Let's review for a little bit. We talked about the provisions, the gifts, if you will, the real benefits, the accessories that come with grace. Grace being that God's riches at Christ's expense for us to really receive all of the things we don't deserve. And if you're getting stuff you don't deserve, that word is called mercy. I want, I want God's mercy, but I also want his grace, giving us what we don't deserve. Uh, uh, um, a term that's used uh, a lot is unmerited favor. There's nothing that I've done. In fact, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, we just read it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know how to make it any better in the sense of there's, it's totally unconditional. You didn't bring anything to the party. You didn't, weren't we, there's nothing you could do. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 in particular, it talks about we're dead in trespasses and sins. And what can a dead person do for themselves? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And that's what's key to the, to the message of grace. Well, there were some, I'm not, those of you that were here last week, um, we ran through, I think there were six or seven benefits. And the first one we found in verse 1, and we were talking about realness. Today, is a, there's a lot of things going on in our world today that are not very authentic, correct? It's hard to find real, authentic situations, people, and places, actually, as we go through it. So we talked about last week a number of real things that are yours if you've accepted the grace through Jesus Christ. And number one was the real peace. In verse 1, it says that we are... Being, that we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. I'm going to tell you here right today, you want to have peace with God. If you have not made peace with God, I would encourage you, don't let today go down and the sun go down without dealing with making peace with God. Did I say that loud enough? I can say it one more time, but I think you're getting it. I see, no, we got it, right? Making peace with God. Real peace, not just a fake peace, not something that's man-made. It's real peace. Uh, the second one we had was access. Boy, don't you want to have real access? And it's by grace, in fact, it tells us to have real access to God through Jesus Christ. I mean, think of that for just to immerse yourself in that, to having access to God through Jesus Christ. 
And you think of all of the things in life that you go through, access is incredibly important, but none so much as having access to God. The third one we found was in the latter part of verse 2, and that was a real, a real hope. Um, we've been talking about in uh, our truth seeker group, our young people, we've been talking about uh, the, the effects and, the, and the, the sad state of affairs we find in suicide, not just teenagers, but literally across this world. It is the second leading cause of death in the world. Now think of that, that's self-destruction. What's going on? Well, without getting too far down that trail, one that's on a level of having suicidal thoughts that it would attempt suicide. And interestingly enough, um, do you know how many people succeed that try suicide and succeed? Do you know what that ratio is? Yeah. This is the scary part. Did, did I give it to you? Oh, you yeah, saw it on the board, didn't you? No. Oh, was, did I give it to you before? Okay, all right. Oh, you have a son in truth. There you go. Now think of that. I've just told you that Suicide is the number two reason for death in the world. And only one, I, I'm saying, that, that, that sounded horrible. That's, I, I don't mean it that way. But literally, one in 25 is the success rate for suicide. What if half of those succeeded? Do you see what I'm talking about? This thing is crazy. And at the bottom line of all of that is someone that is in that frame of mind, they have literally lost hope. There is no hope remaining when one is willing to take their own life. Correct? That's a, this is a scary thing that's going on. So to have the fact that we have real hope, if you're here today and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's no problem with real hope. You have it. Number four we, is the, actually the one that we're going to come back to. No, it's, yeah, it is. This is the phase, verses 3, 4. We're going to particularly, we're going to talk about this because we have a process. Which, well, let's just step back. Let's finish. We had a real peace, real access, real hope. And number four was real love. Talk to me about love. What's real love look like? It's unconditional. It's sacrificial love. It's, it's that mother or that father that goes over the edge of, to a child and, Wraps arms around, regardless of what they've done or said. Just what Jesus Christ did. He laid down his life for the, for the, for the church. That's love. Now, that's called agape love. And that's yours through grace. We're going to be looking at that uh, potentially in, in, a, in a, a, a passage in the Old Testament. Beautiful, beautiful example. So we have the next one is what? Or a real future. How many, how, many, how many people do you run into on, a, on just on a normal, casual, everyday occurrence that feel very confident about having a real future? It's not as many as it could be, right? It's amazing how so many people are actually fearful of their future. Correct? Right. We don't have to be fearful of our future because our future is fixed because we have a hope in Jesus Christ. Uh, the last one that we gave to you last week was a real joy. Faith, hope, and joy, both, all three of those show up in this, in this uh, sense of, of grace unfolding. A real joy. You're going to have joy even regardless of circumstances or events. Today, now I'd like to fill in the blanks, uh, the blank that we left last week. And that is the sense of developing, well, let's see, I don't even know if I want to go there. What, what would you say is the key component to becoming a real in-depth Person, someone that can be trusted, someone that has a realness to them, authenticity. Not just a, have you been around somebody and you, you just said, that's such a fake. Have you ever said, no, you've never said that? Never seen anyone like that? 
well, by the, by, the, by the little laughter we hear, it's happened, hasn't it? There are those that aren't real. How do we, how do we become a real person? How do we become really, really authentic? It is a relationship. And grace is one of those things that actually begins a process. There's a process that we find in Romans chapter 5. We'll be looking at it in just a moment. There's a process to develop real character. Sometimes we, didn't need to know, sometimes we didn't want to be that much of a character almost, right? But to be developed into a real character of authenticity and integrity. Let's go to our, let's go to our Bibles now. And I'm, oh, there they are, my glasses. Necessary evil anymore. Romans chapter 5. Let's, we'll start in verse 1. And I want to watch it flow. Verse 1, we talk about being, therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom? In other words, by Jesus Christ. Also, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. That's the foundation. That's the whole platform on which we stand now. And rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now watch verse 3. And not only so. In other words, not only that, this as well. But we glory in tribulations also. Now stop for a moment. Did he choose, what kind of word is that? How many of you have gloried in your hard times this week? Thought it was a great deal. Thank you for the hard times, Lord God. I'm supposing that you're not raising your hand because you didn't intend to raise your hand. Is that correct? (laughs) Glory... In tribulations also. Why would we glory in tribulations? What what, is this? Is this delusional? What's going on here? What's he thinking about? Why would you say something of that nature? To glory in tribulations. So, not to pick on my mother, but I'm going to for just a second. Since you said that, so did you thank God for your tribulations this week? No, I didn't. Okay, I appreciate the honesty, right? Now, by the way, I'm not... Okay, oh, my mom's getting back. She's coming right back at me. Say that again. There, there you go. Now, isn't that, isn't that amazing? Because grace, now I want, to, I want to make sure we understand that. This package that we're talking about, this whole overarching umbrella of grace, underneath of it now, something changed when you receive grace. No longer are tribulations used by the enemy to destroy you. God will use it through grace to develop you. Now, I'm going to be honest as well. Did you notice I did not raise my hand either? We don't for whatever, and and that's really what he's saying. We can glory, we can be excited, we can be on fire knowing when tribulations and trials and tough times come to us because God will use that in the process of developing us to be stronger and real, solid character. That's how it comes. In fact, I'm going to read, I'm going to just watch this whole process and then we'll come back again. Here we go. Verse 3, not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing... That tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience. Now, that word experience is the one that I'm using because it, it will translate into character, strength of character. In fact, there might be a version you may be reading from that it will actually say it that way, strength of character, and then experience hope. Do you see that? You go from tribulation to hope. Now, if you're without Jesus Christ, normally tribulation pushes you to no hope. Correct? Now, grace is that package, that umbrella that literally allows us to be made and developed 
stronger and stronger and stronger because beneath all of that, guess what? Grace is not something that we can take from us. It is ours. It is something God has promised. Now, what's it based on? How are you, if you're here today and you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, in whose power are you held? How, how strong is your relationship with God? How, how much is dependent upon you? How much is dependent on others? How much is dependent on circumstances? How much is dependent on all of the other things that you find infiltrating through your life? Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, now, what do you know about Peter? How much faith did he have? He was a rock. What's that? He was a rock. Actually, actually Jesus Christ said, this, upon this rock, I will build my church. Do you remember? He was on one of those, uh, I would say, a impulsive moment. Jesus is walking across the water. That's something you don't see every day. And it's at night. The disciples, actually, it says, they were very fearful. They were freaking out. And here comes this man walking on the water. And Jesus said, I'm sorry, Peter says, if it's you, let me come on to you. Now, first of all, I'm wondering, what are you thinking? When's the last time Peter walked on water? Never, right? And you know what happened. He's all fixed. He's fixated on Jesus. And Jesus said, come, come on. So he gets out of the boat. And he's the only one that had enough faith to go, right? The others were, yeah, you go ahead, Peter, you go right ahead. But it was interesting as he came and then he started to see all of the circumstances, all the things around him, the wind, he, see, he saw, it said he saw the wind and it, because it was a stormy, tumultuous night. And you know what? He began to sink. And he cried out in a quick prayer. If you had a quick prayer, God help me. Have you done that? I guarantee you I have. Even Nehemiah, that's a great little book. And you, and you think of Nehemiah as he's a, acting as the king's cupbearer. And, and, he's, and he's there, and here's the, here comes these, uh, there's numbers of events in his life. And it was just these bullet, I call it bullet prayers. Just boom, God help me. God, what do I need to do here? What's my next step? Have you ever done that? Oh man, I do it all in the middle of the night, wake up, boom. And here comes this anxiety and it's just overwhelming. God help me. You know what? What did Jesus do to him? He reached out. He said, oh, you of little faith. So we know this much. He walked on water with a little faith. Isn't that amazing? Just think if we had great faith. Now, don't try walking on water. It's not really that important, right? But with Jesus, all things are possible. I was leading you somewhere with that little story, and I've totally lost track of that, which happens once in a while with me. Um, Peter, that's right, upon, uh, we're, we're in First Peter, that's where we're going to go. So let's, let's think about that. This is the guy that wrote this book, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, thinking of this now, Peter was also that guy, unfortunately, just a few hours before Jesus Christ was betrayed. Jesus said that, I'm going to be betrayed this evening. And Peter said, oh, I'll go with you to the death. I'm with you, buddy, I got your back. That's really not said that way, but you know what I'm saying. He was going to be there for Jesus. And in three separate occasions, he what? He denied Jesus. In fact, the last one, he, did, he denied even knowing him. And then in one of the Gospels, it says Jesus looked at Peter, and Peter wept, went out and wept bitterly. I can't imagine what that look would have been like. Can you imagine that? This is that Peter. So he was certainly one that was fallible. He was certainly one that had saw different angles. He was boisterous. He was outspoken. But let's watch what he says here. First Peter, let me get there. You're where they're waiting for me to get there. And I've left my... Why do I always leave them over here? 
First Peter chapter five, First Peter chapter one. I think what'll be good for us is we'll just start in chapter one. We'll begin at verse three. Blessed be the God and Father. He's, this is kind of a uh, an opening, if you will. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, all of that sounds wonderful, right? Who, uh, that, that's ultimately, we're headed to heaven because of what was accomplished through grace. What's verse 5? Who, this is speaking of you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Did you see that? You are protected and held and kept by God, by God's power. And someone should say amen because it's not up to us. It's not as, you know, have you ever had, um, you just have to believe. You just have to believe. Believe in what? Well, as long as you believe. I had a guy tell me that one time. I may have shared this with you before, but he was going through an illness. He was going through a, a uh, a, a very serious medical situation, and I said, "Yeah," he said, "I just have to believe. I just have to believe." I said, "Believe in what?" Well, I just have to believe. In other words, did you see it? The strength of the whole situation and belief or faith from his standpoint was as strong as he was. I want more than that. I want a faith that's way bigger than me. I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not stout enough. I can't get it done. And by the way, I'm not, no, no, nothing said bad against any of you. I want it stronger than any one of you. In fact, I want it stronger than all of you put together. I want to have something that is so powerful, so awesome, that it can't ever be broken or lost or overpowered. And there is only one thing. That is the power of God. And that's exactly what you're kept in grace by. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. You need to have that one close to you. That is a powerful, powerful verse, understanding that you are kept by the power of God. Now, that helps a lot as we, as we think about these steps in the process of developing real character. Let's go back to Romans chapter 5. Actually, did, did I stop in verse 5? Stay where you're at. Just stop. Don't go any further. We're going to, uh, let's go back and read verses 6 and 7 as well. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll read verse 5, and then we'll read verses 6 and 7. Watch this developed. Again, uh, I'm going to start in verse 4 if it's okay with you. To an inheritance incorruptible, comma, and undefiled, comma, and that fadeth not away, comma, reserved in heaven for you, comma, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Watch verse 6. Wherein you greatly rejoice. Yes, I do. Though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations or trials. That Verse 7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now think of that. You're held in grace through the power of God, and these trials that come your way, really, there's no way that they can separate you from the grace of God or the love of God, no matter how tough it is. And I know know enough in any group of people, someone here today is really, really struggling with a trial, a problem, something that has just attacked them to a level that they don't know if they can literally go on. I'm here to say, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is nothing, 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 times 10, to the 50th, 55th millionth power. You get the idea? It's a big number. 
that can take you or separate you from the love of God. In fact, you're wondering, is that true? Let's go to the Bible and let's look at Romans chapter 8. We'll be right back. Romans chapter 8. Flip the page if you're back in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 8. And let's look at verses 35 through 39. Romans chapter 8 verse 35 just comes right out and says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulate... Oh, look at that tribulation word. Doesn't it just pop up everywhere? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the power of grace. Wow. Now, one of the things that happens to us, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I, this is going to be real open to form. You guys look way too relaxed, and if we need to get you, we need to get you involved now, okay? So we're going to do that. So at any point that you feel that I'm kind of slipping over the edge and I've, and I've moved outside of really where reality, you need to tell me, okay? We okay with that? Um, so one of the first things that happens when a trial or a tribulation comes to you is you get... You're really pretty happy about it. It's all good stuff. I mean, you just say, wow, this is awesome. I hope we have more of that going on today. Yeah. No, okay, finally. Some, yeah, yeah, right, Larry. Sure, perfect. Okay, what's, so let's start working our way through this. When, that, when a tribulation or a trial comes to you, what do you do? What's the first thing you do? Get angry. Okay, anything? Let's write some stuff down here. Okay, these would be possible responses, possible reactions to literally... A trial comes your way. How do I react? What do I do? Now, again, I'm talking about initially. Okay? And, and Alice said, get angry. You guys think that's, that's possible? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Right? What else? Excuse me? Frustrated. frustrated. Is anyone of you better at frustrated? Just Jerry, apparently. Yeah. Get frustrated. In fact, let's describe that. Let's unpack that a little bit more. What does frustration look like? What does it do to you? Excuse me? You don't know what to do. You literally, it's almost like spinning in a circle, right? Frustrated. I don't know what to do. I don't know when to do it. I don't know how to do it. I don't know anything about it, right? Okay, anything else? Fear. Fear. Many times it's, what, what's the fear part of it? What, what, what brings fear? When this trial comes, there's something that just grabs you, hasn't it? Fear. Excellent, Mr. Huber. Good job. Lose focus. Actually, that is incorrect. Let's, because you're always focused on something. No, I'm, just, just work. That was good because I know what you meant. I'm just going to help you. We're going to clarify. It's losing focus on what? Now, by the way, you're very focused when this trial comes. In fact, you're so focused. You are so incredibly focused on the trial that you lost focus. That's what Kurt was talking about. On your relationship to you have with Jesus Christ. Because we just, now we've just read, we've just absolutely put to bed the fact that we cannot be separated from the love of God. Can't happen. Now it may feel like it. That's why if you're living a life on feelings, it's one of these, isn't it? A roller coaster. Zoom. Zoom. Sometimes up, sometimes down. Sometimes down, sometimes deeper down. Right? 
lose focus. That's right. Drop on something else. In fact, um, let's just put it this way. Focus on the problem, right? Now, you can act, actually, you can find this out for yourself. Here comes this, and by the way, it'll probably happen tomorrow morning about 8.13 a.m. Here comes this problem. No, there's a torpedo, right? And you didn't see it coming. Most of the problems you don't see are the ones that are the most painful, aren't they? The ones that you prepare for, they never happen. Right? It's okay. You guys, are, just, get, just, just relax. Let's say this problem's an incoming. Um, what's your problem going to be? Should we make one up? Let's make one up. Paul, what's going to be your problem tomorrow morning? What do you think? <laughs> Yeah. We'll make it, we're going to make his problem our problem. How are we going to react? So what do you think? What's going to be your problem tomorrow morning, 8.13? Inconvenient, but what I had planned is going to be totally uprooted because something else is going to... Okay, so in other words, oh, that's, that is actually... Boy, you see this? I can see all... Maybe not this one quite as much, but can you see this one and this one and this one becoming in Paul's life tomorrow morning at 8.13 a.m.? Because he's got a plan. How many of you have a plan for tomorrow? Please raise your hand, someone. Yes, very good. Someone's actually going to go to work. They're going to do something. They're prepared. They're planning for something that's coming. And you know the most frustrating, the thing that really gets your goat, that really turns you inside out, is when somebody has the audacity to come with a whole new plan that changes what you were going to do. Somebody has a need. <laughs> that you didn't proceed. Yeah. <laughs> right? And all of these things start to come. Now, it usually unfolds even worse, right? It just, it's, it's, just, it's like a slippery ice wall. You can't, oh, man, at the end of the day, you know, I've had days that my plan, you know, I, you know this is what you do. Don't plan. <laughs> Be adaptable, right? Just take it as it comes. Now, that's really bad advice. You have to have some, but you know what? I will say this. There's been a lot of opportunities that God has led me to. When my plans, my, my plans become totally haywire. And you know what? There's that guy that needed to talk to me. And it didn't make sense. I didn't have time. I was on a, right? And those are the situations that literally changed that person's life and mine as well. It's amazing. But, but, but Paul's exactly right. We become focused on exactly what we perceive as being the problem. Okay. So how are we going to... See, now I've got... Do we have any more we want to add to this list before we get any further? Because this is really cool. Did you see we, we hit those already? Nice job, Paul. That was a problem that affected a lot of us. You want to add some more to this? No, there's got to be more than this. What are you doing? A, excuse me. That's right. Live in large, right? How many are at this party, by the way? Your, your problem party. How many do you invite to your problem party? There's usually three. Me, myself, and I, right? And who's in charge? Depends. Depressed. Well, you know, we, we talked, we were actually uh, in Truth Seekers last week. And one of, my, one of the, the homework that I gave to them was for them to do some study on depression. How it, because behind, behind hopelessness, the number one cause of suicide is depression. So why are we getting depressed? How do we break out of it? We, we didn't get very far. We, we had a board full, didn't we? I mean, it was deep. How do you get depressed? And, and actually, uh, Rhonda threw a number of them out there. I mean, it just, it's overwhelming sometimes. Have you ever had that overwhelming feeling that no matter what you're thinking about, I can't handle it? Uh, right? This all comes through trial. And wait, wait, stop. Paul just told us to what? Be happy when you fall into a trial. I'm like, I didn't. Did, 
Paul, you missed the happy part. Where's that at out there? Is that number six? No, <laughs> I've got to pick on you. You're in the front row, you know. Wow. That's what happens, though, isn't it? That's totally what happens. That's exactly what happens. Now, here's another thing I want you, and you probably know this. There's how many, let's, let's go through the questions. You know, we went through this. I don't know what, where did we learn this in school? You know, that's the, maybe it's the journalist part, or you're trying to be a good reporter or whatever. So let's, let's go through the questions. Very simplistic, but that's okay. What's the first question you ask in any situation? It really doesn't matter, but let's ask the Why, when? Why, when? How, what, and where, okay? Do you know which one of those five that is really the only one that really encompasses your entire thought process when the problem comes to you? Why? Do you know what, who, who's in the center and in the, in the spotlight when you ask why? Yourself. That is the one. I actually had a young man that I visited with probably an hour and a half. It's one of those things where my plans weren't going to plan, right? But you know what? It was perfect. My cell phone didn't ring for an hour and a half. Now, you that do know me said that is an act of God. And it was because we were supposed to be there. And you know what? He needed to talk. He needed to visit. He needed to get to the bottom of things. And that was one of the things when I said, I said, the the problems that are in your life, when you're asking why, the only person that you can see is yourself. That is the only person you can see. And that's why most of the time, and again, Paul, not to pick on you, just, well, just a little more, but you see, who are you concerned about when you were worried about my plans on my day, in my world, on my time, in my place, right? Sure, it's, it's, it's no, now, my advice to this young man was this, which, by the way, I need to take it in myself, Never ask the question why when you're in the middle of a trial. Don't ask it. Don't think about it. If it comes, put it away. Put it in a box. Burn it. I don't care what you do with it because it will bring you nowhere. In fact, let's, let's take a step back into Scripture now. Uh, Job. What do you know about Job? Nobody knows anything about Job. Do we have to go to Job to find out about Job? You all know about Job. In fact, Job is so famous when really somebody's having a really crummy, crummy year, week life. Oh, man, that guy's just like Job, right? Okay. And what was Job? Job didn't know that, that, that God and the Satan got together. And God said, you know what? I can trust Job. I can trust him. He's a man of integrity. He's one of in character. <laughs> Satan said, yeah, right. You treat him like a little, you just, you just protect him. You let him have everything he wants. Why wouldn't he stand up for you? You've given him everything they could possibly ever want. He's got a lot of family. He's got a lot of friends. He's got a lot of riches. He's got a lot of stuff. It's good. And God said, take it away. Now, he didn't, the only one that didn't know this was Job. That was to Job. Now, you know what? If Job would have been in a, like, like a three-way conversation, God, Satan, and Job, and, and uh, Satan's going to take his stuff away, Job would say, no big deal. But it's a blind side when Job doesn't know what's going to happen. Right? Now, how many of you want to be Job right now? I mean, well, then, not, you, you know what I'm saying. No, nobody signs up for that. You don't want to do Job 101 in college or life. And you know what? It's gone. Stuff's gone. Can you imagine that? Lost his family, lost his wealth, lost everything. 
except his wife. And he said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now that's some character going on. <laughs> you are so right. We'll talk about them in a second, right? In fact, that's where we're going to... And you know what? So far, so good, right? How did, how did, Job, how did Job handle the trial? That's not, that's not a trial. That is the trial. They've attacked him on every single level. Oh. Satan goes again. God says, what do you think of Job now? Skin for skin. He just protects himself. He's just all about me anyway. He doesn't care. Well, that's a lie. It's right. God spare his life. Ooh. Now we went from trial to trial on steroids. Right? I can't imagine the pain that he must have been in. Boils sitting on an ash heap. The only thing worse was his friends came by. And it was okay when they didn't say anything. That was good. It was actually, at that point, they were doing well, weren't they? The friends were there. They were being part of this, of this whole, oh, man, this is tough. But then they're looking at Job long enough, and they're saying, you know, he had to have done something wrong. This, this, he, he had to do something wrong. And they start telling him so. Why don't, you, why, don't you, why don't you repent of your sins, and then God's going to fix it? And what did Job start doing? Well, excuse me. I didn't do anything wrong. And he asked, you, you, you follow through that, and he begins to ask the why question. Why, 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 why? And you know what? That's usually one question. Ready now? That's usually one question God does not answer. You know what he did with Job? He, said, he asked his own questions. Where were you when all this stuff was made? Where were you? When the oceans, and I, I, you could go on. In fact, he asked a lot of tough questions, didn't he? We could go to the, the description. Next. It was like, well, okay, Kemosabi, Copernicus, where were you in all of this stuff that you understand all of things? And you know what? What did Job do? He repented. He, he said, you and you alone are God. Who am I? God never answered the why question. Because there's no, there's no reason to. But here's the questions we do need to ask when we get into that trial. What do you want me to do right now, God? And how do you want me to do it? And what can I learn from what this whole situation is about? How can I be stronger? You see, the hows and the whats, those are the ones you want to punch in on. The where, well, wherever you're at. You don't even need to ask that one. Right where you're at is the place. It's a why question. Leave it behind. That's one I've had to just forget about. Just forget about it. It doesn't have any value. I know one of the things, too, uh, it's interesting that I look back at, and, and uh, a trouble, a trial comes to you. And, you know, one of the things that's usually an after the fact is a problem will come to show the level of my self-sufficiency. I'm so in control. I so have this. You know what? That evaporates pretty quickly. And it shows me I really don't have as much. I really don't know as much. I'm really not in control. God, what do you want me to do next? What's my next step? That's, that's become one of, my, one of my favorite prayers now. God, I don't really want to even know about tomorrow. I just want to know, what do you want me to do right now? And if it's in the middle of the night, you know what it is? Just start thanking me. Just thank me for one thing. 
and you know, then another, and another. And you pretty, you know, have you noticed this? Once you get on the thankful kick, you can't really stop because you have so many things to be thankful for, no matter how bad. And you know, he woke up because, oh, it's terrible. I don't think I'm going to make it. I'm scared. I don't got money. I got nothing. It's just it's terrible. How did I do? That was a pretty good acting job, wasn't it? And you know what? As soon as you can start thinking, that starts to go up and up and up. And you know what? No longer. And the other thing is, oh, I'm going to get uh, two seekers. You need to turn your ears off right now because I'm going to give you something I was going to ask of you this week. But it's okay because you'll forget it, right? <laughs> Along with being thankful, when you're in this mode where this trial comes, the other thing is if you can reach out to someone, lend a helping hand, give them an encouraging note, give them a phone call, whatever it is. And you, you don't have to be, it's, it's not a matter of really being cool. Just reaching out, it takes the burden off of you. And the trial now becomes a part of a process to build you stronger. You show me someone that is very seasoned and very uh, dedicated, that's a real strong integrity person. I'll show you someone that has went through some tough times. I will guarantee you they have went through some tough times. Because that's what the scripture just says. You can't get character without starting with tribulation. Did you get that? Now, see, we kind of like the little kid stuff. You know, if, if that little, those little guys that are two, three years old, they want it all their way all the time. So that's what we do, don't we? We give them everything they've ever wanted and they turn to a beautiful young man or girl. Is somebody going to stop me yet or what? No, they become spoiled little urchins that are really a menace to society. You give them what they need. And that is what? Walls and parameters. And sometimes just a little swat on that posterior to get their attention. Right? And you know what? This whole concept of ex- the word in the King James is experience or character. It's actually a word that is related to metal. And you saw it in Peter's word. Remember? Like refining gold or silver. The very same thing is, the only way that you can get the impurities out is to add pressure. You add pressure. Get rid of the impurities. It starts to sort things out. Beautiful picture. Now, what's worse than, what's the only thing worse than a trial? Is the next step. One that lasts a long time. Oh, you know, if you have a trial, it's boom, boom, and it's over, like tomorrow. When your problem comes at 8.13, this is going to be really scary. Someone's going to call me out of this group tomorrow. What? It was 8.13. It was crazy. <laughs> if that problem comes and it just, yeah, we dealt with it and we moved on. That, those, those don't make much of a mark, do they? But the ones that go on for months and years, those leave a mark, don't they? In other words, we're taking a trial and now we're persevering in it. That's hard. But it says that's the only way. Do you remember our process? We didn't write that down. You tell me. What do we start with? Process is... Process for... I'm going to say strength of character. How's that? Strength of character. Number one, you have to start. In this, buddy, you have to start with this. You can't get a strong character unless you start with this. Number one is you got to start with. Yeah, I'm going to just say a trial. I'm going to just say a trial. Got to start with a trial. And number two, turn a trial into patience. Oh, that's good. Or perseverance. And patience turns into character. 
Paul, you never thought you'd turn into such a character, oh. did you? <laughs> But the really cool part is, is when you, when you build this character, there's something that really is the underlying focus of all of this, and this is where our strength and our focus and our resiliency, our foundation, everything that allows us to get full, encompassing hope. Hope. And there's no shortcuts. There is no shortcuts. Again, these... What do you love about patience, Paul? How many of you prayed for patience this week? Anybody raise their hand? We need to talk afterwards because you're not being very, 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 what should I say, intelligent? Because the only way to get patience is you've got to have a trial. But the only way to get character is to be patient in a trial. Are you depressed? <laughs> now you're not even talking to me. I better, I better loosen up here, right? Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Sometimes it's a matter of perspective. It's amazing how long a trial can go when we're focused on it. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For our light affliction, that's a problem, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Look at those words, exceeding and eternal, putting it into perspective. Look at Romans chapter 8. Let's go back to Romans for a second. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I reckon, are you there? Romans eight eighteen. For I reckon or make note of that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now that helps us to see a few things. Now think of it this way. Um, again, without, without grace, suffering is suffering. Did you hear me? Without grace, suffering is suffering. With grace, it allows us to use suffering to be developed into the image of Jesus Christ. You see, grace is actually the package that allows us for suffering to be a process of developing character. That's really cool. Do you see, it takes all of those things that, are, that you kind of resist and it makes them something to be, uh, what, what, what's the right word? Grace. To be desired. Somebody, what did you say, Cindy? Grace-filled. Yeah, grace-filled. Good, very good. That word experience, dokamazo is the Greek word. And I don't know if I said it exactly. Or I'm only going to say it that one time. That way you can't see if I was right or wrong. But that word, that Greek word, I think it's dok- dokamazo. And it, it, so I said it a second time. Why did I do that? And it means to be approved, to be approved. In other words, see, that's exactly the word that we have. And you think of a metal. You, you know, you, you add heat, you do it for a long time, and guess what? It's approved. The real stuff. You know, you don't want to go to, yeah, I'll just have some silver. What do, you, what do you mean if I want it pure? No, just give me a chunk of silver. I'm okay with that. Think about it in, char- in character or integrity. Yeah, I'll just have a little integrity. I don't need a lot. You want to do business with those people? Right? No, of course not. It takes these things literally to get that point of approval, to be approved. Putting to the test. Putting to the test. Having real character, no flaws, no impurities. 
In fact, let's look at another angle. This is a book we studied some time back. Let's go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and let's look at verse 12. And you're all probably, we study this one, uh, it's been some time back, but amazingly fits this very well. James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, he was the one that didn't believe in Jesus until he saw him as being resurrected. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation or trials, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say, when he is tempted or tried, I am tried of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. The whole sense of temptation and trial is a way for us ultimately to become stronger and better and more useful. The other thing is, is the weaker that we know we are, the stronger we know that God is. You ever been in a problem where it, it, just, it just overpowers you and there's no way you can handle it? That's the perfect problem. That's the perfect problem. Because then you know that you can't get it done. And you step out in faith, allowing that grace to overwhelm you. And literally, it's God's power that sustains you. It's His power that sustains you. Look, at, I want to show you something now in First Thessalonians. Let's go there for a second. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3, and verse 3. Now, this, uh, we'll, we'll actually pick the reading up in verse 2. Actually, I should do in verse 1. Now, 1 Thessalonians 3, 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Now, watch verse 3. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. You know, it's not just us that have trials and problems. It's everywhere. If you, if you got a heartbeat, you are going to have a problem. It goes on. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. I could go to a num- number of other scriptures that says, you know what? That's just the way it's going to be. John sixteen thirty three. That's what's going to happen. You're going to be persecuted. Jesus Christ said those very things were. You will be. You're going to have hard times. It's going to happen. But I want you to. Did you see that word moved? Verse 3. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. That word moved is, another one is to say beguiled or to be seduced or to be deceived into, you know, now how many people have you known that, oh man, I don't trust God. I, something happened in my life and it just didn't work out. I, I, I can't take God for what he did to me. Now that would be beguiling. Because what did we just read? The scripture says, no one can separate us from the love of God. No one. Not anything. We are his. We are his. That's interesting, the word that he uses. So that these afflictions don't move or beguile us in our connection or relation with Jesus Christ. Now, anything we've left out? What would you say to that person who says, you know, I just, I'm really interested in becoming a higher, having more integrity, being a re, just real character, something that people can count on. What would you tell them? Get, re- get ready. <laughs> this may hurt. 
Is this an easy road? With God, it's a good road. It's a great road. And this is all under the sense of grace allows us to be, for trials and patience builds character. Without, without grace, this doesn't work. By the way, this doesn't work. In fact, the, usually what happens, with, if grace is not packaged, if God is not part of this equation, trials actually turn to hopelessness. And a long trial turns it into real hopelessness. Grace is the thing that allows us to see on the other side. You have a new position, a new relationship, and ultimately a new future. That is great news. I'm going to show you a beautiful picture between real people in the Bible about what grace looks like. Where do you think we should go? I'm going to open up first. Can you give me an example of grace? What is grace again? Unmerited favor, God's riches at Christ's expense. So how many, showed, how many of you showed grace to somebody this week? Oh, and now you're too humble. You won't raise your hands. I appreciate the humble. We'll, we'll just say it was humility, right? How easy is it to show grace to someone that's a jerk? That's really hard, isn't it? It's really hard. In fact, it's really hard. Show me a jerk, and I'll show you someone that's really hard to have to show grace to. But grace is not like that, is it? Grace is unmerited favor. We, don't, we didn't do anything. I want to show you this. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 9. And I'm going to show you the name of a man that sometimes can be very difficult to pronounce. But let's turn there. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now I'll try to fill in some of the gaps here. I think we'll read it. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. And then, well, it's actually a whole chapter. <laughs> Larry, good job. There's 13 verses. Well, let's just read the first 13 verses. Well, that's good. It's chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9, and verse 1 says this. And David, King David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Maybe we should stop. That, that's a good place for us to stop. That, there's a lot of stuff going on. We just popped right in. Tell me who David is. David's the king. He's the king. He is now the king. He is the king of Israel. Okay? And who's Jonathan? That was, a, that was one of his best, his best friends. Who's Saul? We see we got a lot of names filed. Who? Saul was the king. Now, what was the relationship between Saul and David? Oh, I gave that away, didn't I? They, it wasn't working out, was it? Saul, in fact, now, wait a minute, stop. Relationally, David was the son-in-law of Saul. So Saul's son-in-law, what did he do to him? He actually tried to kill him on a number of occasions. He chased all over the nation trying to kill his son-in-law. Think of that for a second. Ah. David was hiding in caves. He was actually trying to become a Philistine. There you go. Think of that. Just, just a second. Just give me a little branch I can rabbit trail off on. So here's David, right? And he's trying to get away from Saul. And he's got Goliath's sword with him. Goliath is a Philistine. Boy, I wonder will we be accepted in this town. Look at that's David. And then he actually goes so far as to actually act insane. Oh, I missed it. I missed it. That trial came. Did you see the one where it was fear? Remember that? It was right. It's right here. Fear? That was David 
Wasn't that David? Absolutely. Trials would do that. He was scared out of his wits. But all of that's past now. Saul actually, and his, now Jonathan, let's talk a little bit about him. Saul's son, Jonathan. Now that was a friend. That was a friend you could count on. Now his father wants to kill David. They're brother-in-laws. And Jonathan would do anything to make him better. Isn't that cool? That's the kind of friend we want to be. He was an encourager. He was the one that would... And I tell you what, well, how about that relationship? He and his dad, Saul, they got in it pretty hard and heavy. Dad, what do you do? You want to kill... What's wrong with you? Can you imagine those things? In fact, let's go to, let's go to 1 Samuel. I want to see the relationship developed a little bit more in regards to uh, David and... and uh, let's go to first. Hold your place. We'll be right back in 2 Samuel. We didn't get very far. One verse. Let's go to 1 Samuel, and we're going to look at chapter 20. Chapter 20. We're going to read just this kind of an episode in their lives and just watch the camaraderie that they have. Verse 11. Let's see. I've got to get this. Okay, uh, verse 11. Jonathan said unto David, Come and let us go out to the field. And they went out, both of them, into the field. Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel, when I have sounded my father about tomorrow any time, any time, or the third day, and behold, if there be good toward David, and I then not send unto thee, and show it thee, the Lord do such and much more to Jonathan. And if it please my father to do the evil, then I will show it to you. And send thee away, that thou mayest go in peace, and the Lord be with thee, as he hath been with my father. And thou shalt not only while yet I live show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off any kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even and require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. There's a relationship here, isn't there? Now, they get into a very serious battle, and Saul and Jonathan are both killed. David becomes king. What usually happens now when you get a new king? In fact, it's interesting, it even carries through today. You have a new, a new emperor or a new dynasty or something, and they take over in a country. You know what happens to the other one? They are deposed. They are gone. In fact, if you are of the previous one, the best thing you could do is leave. Quickly. Now. Leave no tracks. What they usually did is they would wipe them all out. Kill them all. In the new coming regime. Okay, those are the things we know. Let's go back to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Let's keep reading. Wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. David said in verse 1, Is there yet any left of the house of Saul who was the previous administration, that I may show him kindness for John. What? What do you mean kindness? He's remembering that covenant they had with his friend, his dear friend Jonathan, isn't he? And whose sake is it for? For Jonathan's. For Jonathan's. For Jonathan's. <clears throat> Let's keep going. And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. The king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the, and the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amelial in Lodibar. 
Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir and the son of Amiel from Lodabar. And now when, are you guys, did you guys get this name? That looks like a doozy. Mephibosheth. Have you named, has you heard anybody else named Mephibosheth? Ooh. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. What do you think? Now, I want to, now again, let's just set this up. Mephibosheth, well, if you read the story, I don't even know where it's at exactly. We can find it. But Mephibosheth, upon this, this battle that took place, and Saul and Jonathan were killed, and here comes these Philistines. He, his, his nerve, he was five years old, just a little guy. And they were taken off across running away, and she fell down. And, in, and permanently disabled him. I mean, he's lame in his feet, okay? So now, when all of this takes place, guess what? Where are you going to go if you are Mephibosheth right now? Let's just think about this. David's the new king. Now, do you think Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul, did not know how his grandfather thought about David? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So where would you go if you were Mephibosheth? A long ways away. Do you know what the word Lodabar means? How many of you ever lived in Lodabar? Anybody live in Lodabar? I think I've lived in Lodabar. It means no pasture. <laughs> it's a wasteland. It's desolate. It's God-forsaken, if you will. And that's where he was living. Why? Because he probably wouldn't be looked for any place that was desirable. Here's Mephibosheth just hanging out. Now, here comes Ziba. David calls him in. He said, say, is there anybody left of, this, of the family of Jonathan? Well, as a matter of fact, <laughs> whose side is he on right now, right? Because... You know, I don't know, but he answers the question. So he says, well, let's go get him. He fetched him. That's the word used in the King James. He fetches Mephibosheth. Here he comes from Lodabar, no pasture. Walks into the king. What do you think, how long do you think Mephibosheth thinks what his life expectancy is right now? About six minutes. This is the end of me. And he falls on his face and he says, I'm your servant. Verse 7, David said unto him, Fear not. That's the first. That's, that was good. And I will surely show thee kindness. Again, that same word we find. For Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Because you're a really nice guy. What would, no, what would have happened if he would have put that in there? Because I really like you. Because, uh, because you deserve it. That's the word. Let's put that in. I'm going to do this because you deserve it. Then I couldn't use this story, could I? You see grace unfolding here? What did Mephibosheth bring to the table? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. All right, what did you say, Mom? Did you... Got to have a comic in the back of the room all the time, right? Bring bread. <laughs> Let's keep going. Watch, now watch, how does Mephibosheth respond? This is, now this is key. He bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? I'm not worthy of this. Then the king's called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him. Thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that thy lord the king hath commanded his servants, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. 
And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. Think of that. That is probably as perfect a picture of grace as we can find. Think of that. Mephibosheth, as he was just a young boy, he certainly would have enjoyed fellowship with his father and his grandfather, right? And then something happened. That relationship was severed. And then, to remind him, he was lame. He suffered, he fell, he was certainly in the wrong place at the wrong time in regards to even this King David. And yet he was shown unconditional love. He was destitute and undeserving. But to go from a wasteland to a banquet table. In fact, think of it, literally from the words you find, David adopted this foreigner, if you will, into his family. He made him part of the family. And that limp would just continually remind him of who he was. That is exactly what it is for us in God's grace. That sin problem, we're continually reminded of it. We're destitute. We're undeserving. There's nothing that we bring. And yet God said, because of what Jesus Christ did, I'm going to claim you. I'm going to ask you to come here. And you know what? Sometimes we don't, there's, there's some, remember we talked, that was a couple weeks ago. I can't remember exactly how we put that, but um, there's two things that keep people from Jesus Christ. One is pride. Don't need him. Don't want him. I can do it myself. And the other is shame or I'm not worthy. That's exactly Mephibosheth. You know, Mephibosheth was almost on the verge of not accepting grace. Did you see? And it was up to him. He had to come to the table. He had to, he had to accept what David had laid down. He said, oh, I, I, just, I just want to go back to Lodabar. Right? Did you see it? It it would have actually been probably easy to to let his fears override him. And there's a lot of people today that won't take God's grace. Beautiful picture of grace. To be part of the family. Literally part of the family. Reminds me of... Just sort out David. Do you think this is the first thing on his agenda? Oh, I got to take care of that Mephibosheth guy. Yeah, I forgot about him. That's Jonathan's kid. You know, what do you think David's got on his plate? Do you think he had a couple of trials and problems coming his way? You know what? I love the fact that he just laid that. You know what? No, wait a minute. I made a covenant with Jonathan. I want to show kindness. I want to show kindness. I want to do this. I wanna, I'm committed to doing this right. For Christ's sake, God did the same to us. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 says this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted into the Beloved. Because of, for Christ's sake, God is able to put us into the Beloved. What a picture. Reminds us of maybe what we... Chapter 4, verse 32 of Ephesians says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. 
It's a lot easier for us to do the right thing and to literally, what should we say, give gracefully when we understand what Jesus Christ did for us. Ephesians 3.8 speaks of unsearchable riches. Verse 8 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, Unto me who am less than the least of all the saints, this is Paul speaking, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What a beautiful picture of grace. Grace. Turn to Titus chapter 3 for a moment. The word that continually showed up in David's account was kindness. I want to show kindness. I want to show kindness. Uh, Titus chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities. Titus 3 verse 1. And powers to obey magistrates and to be ready to every good work. To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish and disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward... Did you see that? Did you see that word? After the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he set upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of the eternal life. That verse 7 is one you need to put into your memory. To be declared not guilty by his grace, that we could be heirs, part of the family, according to the hope of eternal life. Have you experienced God's grace? Have you taken that opportunity to accept what Jesus Christ accomplished? And only He could accomplish it. He's waiting. He's not putting you on hold. He's available 24-7. And Jesus Christ accomplished everything. If you haven't made that decision, today is a great day to do it, to be at peace with God. And let's review. In other words, we would have, remember, I'll just let you, we have real, back in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 was we have real peace with God. We have real access. I thought you guys were going to answer. Here, I'm doing it for you. Let's go. We have real peace, real access. We have real hope. We have, well, man, they're coming now. Okay, anything left? What's the one we talk about today? Real character. Real character. All under the name and the umbrella of grace. And may we enjoy what David, and what, an example of what David did to Mephibosheth, and experiencing grace that God has laid out for us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your picture of grace. Thank you for the love that you've shown us through Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can have real peace with you. We can have real joy, real hope, real access. And you can develop real character. Grace is such a miraculous and wonderful thing in a world that needs it desperately. Father, there's people that we'll be coming in contact. These, these here in this room, Father, will literally be go in many, many different places 
that you have destined them to be, Father. And I would ask that you would allow them to share the grace that they've received. That this would be a week of which people are impacted by the grace and the love that is flowing through them. Father, the world needs a lot of love. It needs a lot of grace. Thank you that you are... It's unspeakable riches. Abundance beyond measure. Father, we would just pray for your guiding hand upon us and on these. May you bless them, provide and protect them. Take us where you want us to be. May we charge on, may we press on toward the mark. Thank you for what you've accomplished in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.